Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, we uh, are beginning a five-week summer series through the book of Psalms, looking each week at a uh, different psalm. And I love this because we did this a couple of summers ago. So so two summers ago, we, we went through some different psalms, and we called this series The Songs We Sing. And uh, just shout out to Kyle. The, the logo two summers ago was a cassette tape. So now we have, we have evolved to a CD, okay? This was... <laughs> <laughs> it was my idea, yeah. But uh, so next time we're going to go with the original iPod. Remember the just with the click wheel? That'll be next summer. All right. But um, I love the book of Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms is excellent. It, it's, an, it's a song book. That's what it is. It's 150 songs uh, written by various authors. But, you know, it's really so much more than that. If you've ever had trouble putting into words how you feel about your spiritual walk, how you feel about God, how you feel about life, well, the good news is the Psalms are for you. The Psalms are written in such a beautiful and thought-provoking way that they can really help us in our prayer time with the Lord. They can help us verbalize some things that maybe we're having trouble putting into words. They can help us express our thoughts and our feelings to God. And let me say that that's the good, that's the bad, and that's the ugly, as you'll see. So my hope is, over these next five weeks, if you are maybe struggling in your prayer life, maybe you just feel like you've hit kind of a rut, or maybe you're just struggling with your thoughts about God or about yourself, let these songs, let them teach you how to turn those thoughts into prayers. Let these be the words and the songs that we sing. So I want to open with prayer. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we seek to study his word today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that we're able to gather, that we are able to celebrate with Joe this morning just the beauty of baptism, Lord, that we are united with you in your death and resurrection forever. So we thank you, God, for saving us and loving us. We thank you for showing yourself to us through your word And I pray that now in your word, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and transform who we really are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if you look at different literary works throughout the ages, you'll find many epic stories or poems about long journeys to a particular destination. So think, for example, Pilgrim's Progress or Lord of the Rings, right, or Currently, as we're looking at Gerald and Piggy, right, in my house. Just all kinds of long destinations that we're looking at here and analyzing in my home. But in these stories, the main character must choose the right path and find the right destination, right? That's always the goal. These, these great stories, you know, we're really drawn to these stories. We, we love these stories, and they're so popular and intriguing because I believe they reflect a basic human need that we all have to know to know that we are really on the right path in life to know that we are heading in the right direction we crave that assurance don't we don't you want to know that you're on the right path in life well 
With the book of Psalms being such an amazing collection of songs that help us verbalize our thoughts to God, it's very fitting that the first song in this songbook begins with this description of two different paths that we can take in life. And it gives such a good and clear answer as to which path is right and true. So would you look with me at Psalm chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look on the screens as well. Psalm chapter 1, we're just going to read. It's just six verses, so we'll read all of it in its entirety at once. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So right off the bat, we see here in verse 6 that this psalm acknowledges what we know to be true. There is a right way to live. There is a wrong way to live, and both of those paths have unique and everlasting outcomes. The way of the righteous versus the way of the, the wicked. So, I want us to take a closer look and, and see what are the characteristics of these two types of persons on these two very different paths. So, let's look first at the way the psalm organizes it, let's look at the way of the righteous, right? The way of the righteous is characterized by a couple of things we see here. Number one, the way of the righteous is characterized by being different from the world. So verses one through three describe characteristics of the blessed person, he's called, on this way of righteousness, right? And this begins by showing us what the righteous person does not do. So sometimes it's helpful to define things not only by what they are, but by what they are not, right? So it says the righteous man is truly blessed. Why? Because he does not do some things. He does not listen to the conventional wisdom of the world, right? So if you look again at Psalm 1 on the screen, the wicked, it says, have their own counsel, right? Sinners have their own way, right? Scoffers have their own seat. So the world, in other words, has its own wisdom, right? The world has its own system. The world has its own set of beliefs. Now, the righteous person though, right? The righteous person here is proactively choosing not to have his or her mind set, right, on these things or to have his mind or heart shaped by those voices of the world, right? By that counsel, by that way, by that seat, so to speak. To not have his soul governed by these ways of the world. So here's the thing though, right? This is a description of, of the righteous person, but to the world's eyes, 
right? To the world's eyes, this righteous person may not appear to be blessed as we would define or the scriptures would define the word blessed, right? Because the scripture is very clear. Blessed is the person, blessed is the man, right? Who, who does not listen to the ways of the world. But the world would say, well, that's silly, right? You're not a blessed person if you're not defining your success and happiness by these parameters. So the wicked path, or the world will say, has these different parameters for measuring happiness and success. So the conventional wisdom of the world would tell you that you must try and seek to accumulate as much wealth as possible. And that's really the key to happiness, right? So if you can just have bigger houses and nicer cars and better clothes and all these things, all these creature comforts, right? You have, to, you have to make enough money to get these things and that's where the happiness is. That's the conventional wisdom of the world. Or perhaps just comfort in and of itself. Not even necessarily tied to money, but just ease, right? The conventional wisdom of the world would say that happiness is found in an easy life. So avoid conflict at all costs. Avoid any kind of any kind of detrimental situation. Avoid any kind of hard path ahead. Take the easy road. Perhaps it's just idolized individualism, right? Where we think that the world literally revolves around us. And so we are at the center of the universe and everyone else is just kind of dancing around us. But ultimately, we are consumed with thoughts all the time about ourselves and what other people think of us and how we can impress other people. Perhaps... It's attractiveness. And so you go to great lengths to make yourself more attractive in a way that other people will notice. You see, it's all kinds of little idols of our heart that the world says, no, this, right? This is the key to your happiness. This is the key to you being successful. It's by pressing into these things and acquiring these things in your life. So for this description then, according to Psalm chapter one, the wise man the blessed man, the blessed woman of God or man of God is looking at our culture around us as a Christian and thinking, this is not easy. Our culture around us is going to be a very challenging place for a man or woman of God to live. We're going to have to disagree with the world about what true happiness and success actually looks like. And to do that, we will have to avoid planting or rooting ourselves in these councils, ways, seats of the world that verse 1 speaks of. But what does that look like? What does that really look like in our day-to-day lives? Well, you see, I think we kind of go about this in, in two ways. So, so we understand as Christians we shouldn't be listening to the conventional wisdom of the world and, and applying our lives in that way. But I think we kind of typically go about dealing with this challenge in two different ways. So on one hand, we could do a full retreat from the world, right? So we could isolate ourselves from the culture and just create our own little Christian bubble so that we become so out of touch and out of tune with the actual world that we lose our ability to to communicate truth to the world. In other words, we we could back away in fear, We could back away in fear so much from the world and only point fingers at the world so much that we actually lose the ability to walk across the street and have a conversation with our lost neighbor who is not a Christ follower because we are so out of tune. So that's that's on one 
problem, I believe, or one path we could take to deal with this. On the other hand, though, right, on the other hand, some may choose to just surrender to the world. So instead of retreating in fear, it's more of a surrender of compromise. And so we, we compromise our faith and our belief, and we actually end up becoming just like the world. Guess what? The outcome is the same. We then lose our ability to articulate truth to our lost neighbors and friends and coworkers because we're just like the world. We have nothing marvelous to offer. You see, neither of those ways. Neither way is the path that we need to be on or the path that Psalm 1 is describing. There's a better way. You see, the righteous person lives in the world, but differently. The righteous person engages in the world, but differently. We engage with the world around us in a way that shows them the way of the righteous, Psalm 1 speaks of. But what is the key to that? What is the key to finding that sweet spot, so to speak, where we don't err too far left or right, where we stay centered on the gospel, engaging with our lost friends and neighbors and coworkers in hopes of leading them to Christ? What is the key? Well, the key to this great challenge is in verse 2. Look what the psalmist says next. So the righteous person, the, the, the blessed person who's on this way of righteousness is not listening to the conventional wisdom of the world. But what is he doing? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That brings us to the second thing we see. Right? The way of the righteous is characterized by delighting in the Lord through his word. That's what it's characterized by, delighting in the Lord through his word. You see, the key, the key to living in this world without retreating in fear or surrendering to compromise is to pursue delight in the Lord. It's all about where you actually find your delight through the Lord, in the Lord, through his word. Let me, let me say that again. The key, the key to living in this world without retreating in fear or surrendering in, comp surrendering in compromise is to pursue delight in the Lord through his word. That is the key. So the righteous person of God, the Christ follower, is proactively pursuing the wisdom of God through the scriptures. Meditating, the psalmist says, day and night, continually, consistently. You see, this is where true delight is found. Let's talk about delight for a second. My kids, uh, recently I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to them. Uh, so C.S. Lewis, great author from the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a scene where the evil white witch encounters one of the main characters, the young boy named Edmund. Well, in an attempt to deceive Edmund into trusting her, the white witch gives him this tasty treat called Turkish Delight. If you've read the book, if you've seen the movies, you know, right? Turkish Delight. Tastes great. It's addicting, though. You see, Edmund becomes addicted to this Turkish delight, and as he is eating it, it has this magical power to blind him to his surroundings. He becomes so focused on needing that Turkish delight that he doesn't even realize what the white witch is doing. She is tricking him and deceiving him into giving up the information about his brothers and sisters. 
He is losing his ability to distinguish what is right and what is wrong. I think for many of us, our Turkish delight, so to speak, the lie that we believe, is that we must seek to be this righteous person that Psalm 1 speaks of on our own, on our own strength. What I mean is, I think what we are addicted to in our American culture very often is proving to everyone else that we are righteous, that we are more righteous than they are. We seek to prove our own righteousness all the time, to craft our own way, to create our own path. We become addicted to this. And we lose our sensibility our, to be able to recognize what is actually right and wrong because we are consumed with everyone else thinking that we are somehow more upstanding in moral character than they are. This, pride, this prideful craving to prove how impressive we are to others or even just convince ourselves that we are good enough for God to love us and welcome us into heaven one day, this path, this prideful, addictive craving to prove ourselves morally, spiritually, socially, economically, in all these ways will destroy you. It will destroy us because it's a burden that we were never meant to bear. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So according to Paul, no one is capable of being righteous on their own. We're all flawed creatures. We're all sinful in our hearts. We're wicked in our hearts. And we don't want to admit that, but that's exactly what we know to be true by the own decisions that we make. But if this is true, then how can anyone live out Psalm chapter 1? Is Psalm chapter 1 not impossible? If we are truly not righteous, if no one is righteous in and of themselves, left alone, standing alone, can anyone live up to the truth of Psalm 1? No, absolutely not. How can anyone walk this righteous path the psalm implores us to pursue? Well, the answer, the answer, true delight in the Lord comes from, listen, Shifting, shifting that burden of righteousness, of you trying to prove to God, yourself, and others that you have what it takes. Shifting that burden from yourself to the only righteous person who has ever lived, Jesus Christ. That is it. That is the key. Jesus said in John 14, 6, what did he say? He said, I am the way. The way, of the, righteous, the way of the righteous is Christ. It's not you trying really hard. It's not you coming to church and saying, I've checked that off my Christian to-do list. No, it is Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the only righteous one who has ever lived. He is the only one who has fully met the righteous demands of God the Father. And the cross... The cross proves this. Only someone with perfect righteousness 
could take your place on the cross and substitute himself before the holy God, the judge. It had to be someone perfect to pay the penalty of our unrighteousness. In other words, what we need to stand in the judgment, as Psalm verse 5, right, 1-5 says, what we need to stand is someone's perfect record of righteousness, and it can't be your own because it's not. We need a righteous record. Christ provides that. So when, when you finally let go, see, this is it. This is the key to delighting in the Lord, to living in this way, in the world, the way of the righteous. The key is letting go of trying to prove your own righteousness to yourself or anybody else and surrender to Christ and let him be your righteousness. His record is then credited to your account. That's what we celebrated just a second ago with baptism. A transfer of righteousness. So now in Christ, you can stand. You can stand in that judgment that verse 5 speaks of. So the key, the key to walking this righteous path of life is by first kneeling. The key to walking is kneeling. It's kneeling before God and admitting to him that you can't walk this path on your own. You need Jesus to carry you every step of the way to be your righteousness. This opens up a whole new world to you. Now you can find true delight in God because through Christ, you have a relationship with him. You belong to him. So now, guess what? This frees you to actually delight in the Lord through his word, through the Bible. You can open up the Bible when you really let go, you know, when you let go of that pride of trying to prove yourself to God, then you can actually open up the Bible and actually take it in for what it is. And then it's not so much you reading the Bible as it is the Bible is now reading you. You let the Bible read your life. You listen to the Word of God. You pray about what you're reading. You let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, teach you His ways through the Scriptures. That's the true path of life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what we believe. That God's word is authoritative over our lives. And when we press into the word, when we finally let go of our own pride and trying to prove our righteousness, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can transform you and really change your life as you dig into the word of God. Listen closely. This is one of the hallmark traits of the righteous person who truly belongs to God. Someone who is shaped by his words. Not by the random noisy, inconsistent voices of our culture. No, the one who is shaped by the words of our creator. But we have to be deliberate about this. We have to be decisive about this. It's an uphill battle, right? I mean, especially in this modern age of internet and information overload. I mean, it's crazy, right? There was a time, right? I mean, there was a time when information could only travel as fast as a train or a horse could take it, right? But now you can wake up this morning and see what your friend from high school in Texas had for breakfast. I mean, do we really need to know that? You know what I mean? It's a little unnecessary, isn't it? 
You see, this doesn't mean, right? This doesn't mean that everything in the world is wicked and we can't read other books, right? That we can't, you know, read other good uh, literature or blogs or whatever, right? But yes, we do need to be careful as to what we're reading, <clears throat> what we're reading, excuse me, what we're watching, what we're listening to. Where are you really drawing your sources of wisdom? That's a great question we need to ask ourselves. Are we letting voices of the world, good though they may be, right? As good as they may be, but are we letting them shape our thoughts and shape our heart and the way we think about this world? Are we letting those voices shape ourselves more than God's word itself? It's challenging. I'm a big podcast fan myself, trust me. All right, I love to listen to podcasts. You know, I'm not really into YouTube channels. I know some of you guys are, whatever, right? But listen, be careful. Be careful to what you're actually letting shape the way you think. If we're really spending time in the Bible, if we're really learning about God, who he is, about his character, about Christ, and what it means for our lives, if you discipline yourself to do this over time, the Holy Spirit shapes you into who you were created to be, that's where you find true happiness and meaning and purpose. Look at verse three. Look at this. It's very clear, right? I love the progression of this psalm because the psalmist is showing us, listen, you avoid listening to the conventional wisdom of the world, but what do you do? You delight in the word of God, and here is the result. You become like a tree. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Don't you want to be able to describe your life that way? This is what it means to be blessed, truly blessed. You finally find that true meaning and purpose for your life, and how do you know? Because as you go through the challenging moments of life, as you go through those dark seasons, as you walk through those difficult life circumstances, the good and the bad, you're planted, you're grounded, you're grounded in God's word. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you handle every single situation perfectly. That doesn't mean that you always have a great grip on your emotion. But you know what it means? It means that at the end of the day, no matter what challenge you face, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you through the word of God. And there's just this continual knowing that you have the nourishment you need. You can lay your head on your pillow at night with a deep river of joy that may not always be felt or evident, but deep below the surface of whatever emotions you had that day, there is a source. There is a river of joy flowing in your heart and the source is not yourself. It is from above the word of God coming down to your heart and your mind through the Holy Spirit. It is there. And so you can walk. You can walk the way of the righteous through any circumstance in life with no fear, with faith, like a tree with a never-ending water source as you learn to delight, not retreating, not surrendering, but steady, steadily pressing on, moving forward in faith. Your leaf will not wither. 
you'll be able to persevere with a steady faith. See, that's the prosperous life that the psalmist is speaking of. That's it. This is the way of the righteous. It's in Christ, delighting in truth. I want to close by sharing about the way of the wicked, though. We've looked at the way of the righteous, and that's taken most of our time, but there's another path that we cannot overlook. The psalm is not finished. What the psalm calls the way of the wicked. You see, the way of the wicked is characterized by, number one, a lack of substance. A lack of substance. This is a fairly quick point, but I want us to be clear here. Look at verse 4. The psalmist says that the wicked are not so. So in other words, they're not stable and steady like that tree that is rooted near water, a continual water source that produces good fruit, that is evident to others around them. The wicked are not like that. That's what he's saying. But are like what? Chaff that the wind drives away. This is a process that we're not really familiar with in our modern world, but in the ancient world, right? So farmers would gather their crop, gather their grain, right? So that they would bring grain to what they called a threshing floor. And this would usually be on some kind of hill, right? So a hill where the wind would be blowing and, and so not many trees around, but lots of wind blowing. So they would, they would press down the grain, all right? They would press it down and, and, and smack it down real good. And then what would they would do? They would take something like a pitchfork and toss that grain up in the air. And so what happens? The wind blows away the useless parts. So the husks or whatever that are, are, are lighter and not useful for eating in any kind of way or using, right? The wind just drives it away. It just blows out into the hillside and all that is remaining that falls to the ground are the heavier grains of true substance. The psalmist says that the wicked are like the chaff that gets blown away. There's really no substance there. Now, on the outset, there may appear to be. See, if you pursue the wisdom of the world that verse 1 speaks of, right, your life may have this surface-level appearance of security and success. You may be acclaimed throughout your neighborhood or your community or even this whole city. People may look at you and think, oh, man, she's got it together. He's got it together. Look how happy that family is. Look how great they are. Look how successful they are. You might be painting that picture for everyone to see. But the psalmist says, at the end of the day, though, the wind just drives you away. In other words, when a tough time comes, your true state is revealed like chaff. There's really no substance to your life. Your emotions are unstable. Your faith is unsteady. You're constantly shifting your thoughts and opinions and your emotions by what others think of you or tell you. And so there's really no stability in your life. There's no concrete foundation. But what is most disheartening here is that this prideful, unstable way of living, living is liable to judgment before God. And ultimately, it brings us to the second thing we see here. The characteristic of the wicked is eternal condemnation. Not only is there a lack of substance, but there's a final, solidified, eternal condemnation. This is how the psalm ends. Look at verse 5 and 6. The psalmist says, therefore the wicked will not stand. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, as we've already seen today, the only righteousness, the only righteousness that can stand, the only righteousness that will not be driven away by the eternal wrath of a holy Father God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. Only he can truly stand in the judgment, in the presence of God on judgment day when he judges all people in his righteousness through Christ. His record, his record alone, Jesus' record alone, nothing else, only those who are found in Christ, united with him. Only those who have said, I can't walk the way of the righteous, Lord. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. Lord, I need you. Only those who find themselves in the safety and security of Jesus Christ will stand because God looks not at your past or present or future. He looks at Jesus who covers it all. You see, that's the good news, that Jesus really did take your eternal condemnation on himself on the cross and killed it, crucified it, so that he could give you in exchange his perfection, his righteousness. The way of the righteous is the way of Christ. It's one and the same. As Lark read for us earlier in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So some of you today, listen, you need to get on the right path. The issue for you may be that your life is not it's just not characterized by the righteous path that we saw today. You're not any different from the world. You're not any different from the world around you, and you never delight in the Lord through his word. If that's you, listen, if that's you, it's, it's very possible that you have never truly turned from pursuing your own righteous effort and turned to Jesus in faith. But the good news is, listen, you can come to Christ today. The Father will forgive you because of his son's death for you. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Tell him you're sorry for living that way. Ask him to put you on his path, to be your savior forever, to do what you could never do. Maybe some of you today belong to God, but you're in that spiritual rut. You're stuck. You're finding it hard to really delight in God and in the Bible. So perhaps for you, there's just some sin that you need to confess. Perhaps that's what's weighing down is the, the reality is you haven't been honest with the Lord about the sin in your life. And so you just need to be honest with God. He already knows anyway, so just tell him, be honest, say, God, I am sorry for the way I have been living and the things I've been choosing to do that are not on this righteous path. The one that you've already secured for me. I'm not living out my true identity. Confess that to the Lord. Maybe, though, it's a discipline issue, and we all struggle with this, right? Making time to spend time with God. You can't just wish that into existence. You have to be dedicated and persistent in making time, carving time out of your day 
whether it be morning, noon, or night, whenever, to meditate on God's word day and night, as the psalmist said. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you feel dry because you're not drinking from the source. That's a common thing. That's frequent. You're not alone. But don't stay there. Get into God's word. Stop drinking, maybe, some of you from the man-made wells all around you that never nourish, never satisfy, never fill. Get into God's word. Listen, I know that sometimes it can be daunting to see that big book, right, laying on your coffee table or your nightstand and think, I don't even know where to begin. So here at Kernan, we always want to help equip people to know how to study the Bible. You know we talk about this a lot, right? One of our core values is we want to know what the Bible says and means. And so we want to help you do that. So come out today in the lobby. Our next step teams will be out there. But come out there today and let us just say, hey, I need help. Or maybe I need a study Bible. Can you guys help me get a study Bible? Can you help me show me a place to start? We can help you. We can equip you to do that. We're going to close, though, a little differently today. And each sermon in this series, we're going, to, we're going to close a little differently because I want us to focus on the real meaning of what these words have said to us today. So Kyle and Emily are going to come out in just a second and sing a song. And they're going to do this each week that correlates to the psalm that we just studied. So here's what I want us to do today in closing. Instead of us standing and singing together, I actually want you to just remain seated. Remain seated and, and use this time to let God's word speak to you. Use this time as a time of prayer. As Kyle and Emily lead us today, use this time as a time to really confess to the Lord, God, I'm sorry for where I have neglected to delight in you, where I have neglected to delight in your word, where I have pursued the wisdom of the world instead of the way of your righteousness. Or maybe just spend time thanking God, thanking Jesus that he has given his life for you so that you could have life forever in him. Use this opportunity as a chance to let God speak to you and have a good conversation with him. and Thank him for providing that righteous way through Jesus. Kyle will lead us after I pray. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we... We're so grateful you are the true and only righteous one. Lord, Psalm 1 seems so impossible without you, and it is. And Lord, that's, that's where it starts. We must acknowledge the impossibility of living this righteous life without you. So Lord, forgive us for where we have retreated in fear somehow, or we have surrendered in compromise. Forgive us, Lord, for where we have pursued our own righteousness and we actually delight more. We delight more in ourselves and even just that pursuit of proving ourselves than we do you. Lord, may our true delight always and forever be alone in you. Lord, some of us feel dry. Some of us may feel stuck spiritually. Lord, we don't need just a shot of emotion. Lord, we need a steady water source. And I pray that you would convict our hearts to get serious about getting into your word, taking time to spend time with you. So Lord, speak to us. 
we thank you that you are truly the blessed one. May we be blessed in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.